eating mushrooms will give you that beta-glucan in the fiber. The thing with beta-glucans is that they will potentiate our immune response. So they're actually called biological response modifiers. And potentiation actually means strengthen. Human OS. Learn. Master. Achieve. When we think about the concepts of superfoods, what do we think of? Things like kale, goji berries, green tea, turmeric. But what about mushrooms? If you take a closer look, you'll see that the humble mushroom actually has a lot going for it. A single cup of whole white mushrooms, the kind you typically see at grocery stores, contains just 21 calories, but is relatively high in selenium and potassium and amino acids. But the most exciting benefits of mushrooms don't show up on the nutrition label. Edible mushrooms are rich in polyphenols, including flavonoids and phenolic acids. The antioxidant-promoting and anti-inflammatory properties of these compounds are well-established. Mushrooms contain glutathione, a powerful antioxidant and detoxifying agent that has been linked to improved insulin sensitivity and reduced cancer progression. They also are a source of ergothionine, an amino acid that appears to protect DNA from oxidative damage and may help inhibit the development of plaques in arteries. Finally, research suggests that polysaccharides, or long-chain carbohydrates, in mushrooms may have remarkable health benefits. One class of polysaccharides that is of growing medical interest is glucans. What's really cool about glucans is how they regulate our immune system. They appear to make our innate immune system more responsive to pathogens and cancer cells by activating macrophages and natural killer cells. And they seem to help the adaptive immune system generate more antibodies to fight specific infections. If you give mice a really bad case of the flu, groups that ate mushrooms have a far greater chance of survival. And you see that the animals that get the mushrooms have a reduced number of the virus in their organs, including in their thymus, in their heart, in their lungs, etc. Meanwhile, humans who ate mushrooms or took a mushroom supplement got sick less frequently, and when they did fall ill, it was less intense and they recovered more quickly. Importantly, all the amounts administered in these studies are between 200 and 900 milligrams of beta-glucans per day, which is what you'd get in a serving or two of mushrooms. So this is not some dietarily unattainable pharmaceutical dose. And plain old white-button mushrooms are powerful. Although other types of mushrooms, such as shiitake, maitake, reishi, and chaga, may offer unique health-promoting properties too. And a combination might be best in that there is new evidence that there is some additive nature of different mushrooms taken concurrently in strengthening the immune response to viral infections. Now, today on Humanos Radio, I am talking with Jeff Chilton. Jeff recognized the unique value of mushrooms to human health very early on. He studied ethnomycology, or the historical use and sociological impact of fungi at the University of Washington in the late 1960s, then went on to work on a commercial mushroom farm in 1973. Over the following decade, he became the production manager responsible for the cultivation of over 2 million pounds of agaricus mushrooms per year. He was also involved in the research and development of shiitake, oyster, and enoki mushrooms, which ultimately resulted in the earliest sales of fresh shiitake mushrooms in the U.S. in 1978. Fast forward to 1988, he founded Namex, 
a business that introduced medicinal mushrooms to the U.S. nutritional supplement industry. Jeff's company was also the first to offer a complete line of certified organic mushroom extracts to the U.S. nutritional supplement industry as well. Namex extracts are now used by many supplement companies and are noted for their high quality based on analyses of active compounds. It's hard to think about a more qualified person to speak to about the mushroom industry and the health-promoting powers of mushrooms. So without further ado, Jeff, welcome to the show. Dan, thank you so much for having me. And the information you just provided was fantastic. You really have an excellent understanding of mushrooms. I'm very impressed. Thank you. I was so interested to have you on given the global pandemic of COVID-19 coronavirus. Many people around the world are thinking of ways to keep their immune system strong. And as we dig a little bit deeper, mushrooms seem to have this impressive impact to help us fight infection. Tell us about some foundational information on mushrooms. First of all, let me just say, have you ever been to a mushroom farm? I have not. Very few people have. And the reason is that in North America, mushrooms are all grown indoors. So we're driving out in farm country, we see lots of fields of different corn or wheat or something like that. But we drive right by the mushroom farm. We have no idea what's going on there. So just to give you an overview of these particular organisms that we call mushrooms, they're part of the kingdom of fungi. And that kingdom lies between animals on the one hand and plants on the other. And interestingly enough, we share some basic attributes with the mushroom. It breathes like us. So it will take in oxygen, breathe out carbon dioxide. And also it's got as its storage carbohydrate glycogen, just like us. Plants produce starch. The mushroom produces glycogen. How do we grow mushrooms? What is actually going on here? Mushrooms have no seeds. So how are we supposed to plant them? A mature mushroom will produce spores. The spores fly out in nature. They will land on the ground. They'll land on wood. They'll land everywhere. And when conditions are right, those spores will germinate into a very fine filament. And when multiple of those filaments come together and fuse, they will form a network and that network of these fine filaments is called mycelium. And that mycelium is what we consider the body. It's the vegetative body of the organism. And what's really cool about it, it is breaking down all of the organic matter out there that accumulates every year. And without the mushroom and other organisms like bacteria and bugs and things like that, that organic matter would just build up and pretty soon we'd be buried in it. So mm -hmm. leaves, branches, any sort of woody material, the mycelium will actually be consuming that. And ultimately, it's going to turn it into humus for plants to use. So it's repurposing all that organic matter. Up here in the Pacific Northwest in the fall, when the rains come and the temperature goes down, up comes a mushroom. Wow, where did that come from? Actually, it's been growing for the last couple of weeks, but you don't really notice it because when it starts out, it's small and then it gains in size until it reaches a size where all of a sudden, there it is, it's a mushroom. Well, it's been developing over two weeks. And so as it matures, the cap, will expand at a certain point. The underside has gills, and these gills are where the spores are produced. And that is the culmination of this cycle. So think about it in terms of what I like to call plant parts, because in the whole herbal industry, when we go out and look for a supplement or take some herb, are we taking the root 
Are we taking the leaves, the flowers, the leaves? So a mushroom will have three plant parts that are important for us to remember. Spores, this mycelium, and the actual mushroom itself. And when we think about the mushroom, which is what we utilize, we've never really utilized mycelium because it's always been buried in its substrate or in the ground or something like that. And we're really kind of unaware of that. The mushroom we've been using as food, as medicine, and for shamanic purposes for thousands of years, it is an interesting source of all of these different attributes. Do mushrooms grow in all sorts of conditions or very specific conditions are needed in order for mushrooms or fungi to grow? All over the world in every kind of condition you can imagine. And again, when we're talking about mushrooms, we're just talking about one relatively small grouping of this much larger kingdom of fungi. So just to break it up into two simple parts, one is called perfect fungi, which are the mushrooms. These are the organisms that will produce this fruiting body, this mushroom. And then there are imperfect fungi that do not. And those imperfect fungi are what we would consider molds. And we're all familiar with molds. Oftentimes we'll see them on bread. That's a very common mold that we could see. And also people will talk about, oh, I've got an issue with molds because it's growing in their house or something like that. And Speaking about those molds, and a lot of them can be very deleterious to our health, what it is is they will grow in a moist condition in a house somewhere. And when we see a mold, even when you first see it on bread, it will actually be kind of whitish, but then all of a sudden it'll turn green, it'll mm -hmm. turn black, and that's when it's producing spores. So what actually is affecting people mold-wise are the spores. Those spores, we breathe them in, and then we either have an allergic reaction or they're just irritating our lungs. The molds we really have to be concerned about are the molds that produce aflatoxins. That's something that the grain industry is very concerned about because that particular mold species grows in grains. And so the grain industry is constantly testing the grains that are being stored because if there's any moisture that gets in there, these molds will start growing and this particular mold will produce this toxin. And it's a very poisonous toxin. It's very lethal. Aflatoxins are the reasons why we can't have peanuts on airplanes anymore. Yes, exactly. And that's why a lot of people say stay away from peanuts in general because of the aflatoxins. There may be small amounts in there. But anyway, yes, we're focusing on the positive side here, which are <laughs> the mushrooms that we consume as food or as supplements. Or there's a lot of research these days on these psychedelic mushrooms as well. And that's a whole nother theme. I am interested in all things that can make our existing systems as strong as possible. What else do mushrooms contain that have some health benefits? I think the most important compound in mushrooms are beta-glucans. And beta-glucans make up up to 50% of the cell wall of all mushrooms. Why would one mushroom then be more medicinal than another? The beta-glucan has a structure that varies. So each mushroom will have a little bit varied beta-glucan structure, and that's the difference between one mushroom being highly medicinal and the other one not. The beta-glucan is in the fiber of the mushroom because it's in the cell wall. So 
eating mushrooms will give you that beta-glucan in the fiber. And I still think it's very positive, even in that form, because it's ultimately feeding our microbiome. But the thing with beta-glucans is that there is a tremendous body of research out there that supports the fact that these beta-glucans will potentiate our immune response. So they're actually called biological response modifiers. And potentiation actually means strengthen. So what it will do ultimately is it will activate macrophages, T lymphocytes, NK cells, and essentially enhance our immune response. So consuming mushrooms as food, which I recommend for everybody, we will be getting some of that potentiation, especially if you're eating mushrooms like maitake, shiitake, a lion's mane. What I love about this whole category mushrooms is that we're talking food as medicine. We want our food not only to be nutritious in general, and you touched on that in the intro, but also to have other properties that can benefit us in another way than just nutrition in the sense of potentiating our immune response and strengthening it. And when we talk about whether it be antibacterial, antifungal, antiviral, it really gets back down to primarily these beta-glucans. And essentially, if your mushroom product doesn't have beta-glucans, then it's not really a true medicinal mushroom. That's really the key to a medicinal mushroom, having a good amount of these beta-glucans. People out there will say, okay, mushrooms, oh yeah, really high in vitamin D. No, they're not high in vitamin D at all, but they've got this sterol in there, ergosterol, which is similar to our cholesterol, but it's a fungal sterol, agosterol. And when it's exposed to UV, it will turn into vitamin D2. We also, of course, know that vitamin D has an important role in the immune system, and there's more chatter on, on Absolutely. The whole vitamin D thing really came to our knowledge, so to speak, back in the 1800s in England during the Industrial Revolution, when all of a sudden children in these cities that were industrialized and lost their sunlight started coming down with rickets. And so they ultimately figured it out quickly and they started supplementing with vitamin D and that cleared the whole thing up. And what was interesting is that what they used back then, because yeast is also part of this kingdom of fungi, they found out that they could expose yeast, which was very cheap to produce, to UV. And that's what they started supplementing in milk and all sorts of products. We can now look at things like vitamin D supplementation or the ingestion of more mushrooms and think of them as health boosting. We are actually simply replicating more natural conditions that the body evolved in. The closer we get to that, the healthier the body functions. Eating more mushrooms is a behavior that we did more of historically than we do now. So we put mushrooms back in our system. We get our vitamin D levels back up to something that's higher than what you would spending 90% of your time indoors. The body performs better. A couple hundred years ago, everybody was outside agriculture and all that. And then today, everybody's inside in an office under yeah. artificial lighting and, and covered up half the time, especially in a colder climate. So sure. And I like to say that in my life, I'm going back to the future. Yeah. yeah. And I look back at simpler lifestyle and slow food movement. And yeah. I tell my friends in the city, I say, get out of your car, walk more, take public transportation. I view mushrooms as something that we use for prevention. And I tell people, are you eating mushrooms? If you're not, 
get them into your diet, eat them two or three or four times a week. They're so versatile. Cook them properly. That's a big problem. Have you ever heard people say, ah, that's slimy, terrible things? And it's like, no, no, mushrooms, if you cook them properly on a high heat and brown them up, they're not slimy at all. And they go with just about anything. So the first thing is just get them into your diet. And then after that, think about supplementing with specific mushroom species. And they can be very helpful to you. They work in the background. They're not something like you're taking an aspirin and your headache's gone in a couple hours. Make them part of your whole regimen of food and supplement and just stay with it. And it's interesting because we've got a couple of clinical trials done in Japan Mm -hmm. with control groups, 30 people, 70-year-olds, and they take a battery of tests. And then one group takes three grams of lion's mane a day, which is not a lot. Three grams is hardly anything. I weighed up a button mushroom that was just a medium-sized button mushrooms. Dan, it weighed 40 grams. Can you imagine 40 grams? That one medium mushroom, that's nothing. Four dried grams. So these folks uh, took three dried grams of lion's mane, just straight lion's mane powder for 90 days. At the end of the 90 days, they tested them again. The group that took the lion's mane did much better on the tests. After 30 days of not taking them, they dropped back down to baseline. Mm -hmm. That just to me says, put these things into your diet, supplement with them. Dietarily, you're getting the benefits not only of of those beta-glucans and all the other compounds in there, You're also getting this wonderful food product. And we're way behind Asia in this realm. When I'm traveling in China, we're eating mushrooms every day, whether it's meals at lunch or at dinner. Mushrooms are just part of the cuisine over there. And they've got at least 12 different edible mushrooms in their market. You can even get fresh cordyceps in their food markets. And it is delicious. Fortunately, like in the metropolitan centers, you will be able to get certainly shiitake, normally maitake. If you're lucky in some places, like especially on the West Coast, you might get lion's mane fresh, which is really cool. I mean, even the button mushroom has demonstrated medicinal properties. So even that is good. And as somebody who spent 10 years on a mushroom farm, this big agaricus farm, I literally lived with mushrooms for that period of time. And I never got tired of eating them. I still eat them. I still buy them along with my shiitake and any other mushroom that I can find in the market that particular day. But at least shiitake and agaricus, I've gotten my very small little coastal community. Do you eat them every day? I eat them probably every other day. I will always eat them if I have a steak or something like that. I'll definitely eat them. If there's eggs, I'll put them in that. They'll be one of the vegetables that I put into the stir fry. And they're not a vegetable, but that's where you buy them in the vegetable section of the marketplace. And when you're cooking a mushroom, they shrink down to half the size. So I will easily consume 100 grams of fresh mushrooms in a sitting, no problem. The research that I looked into prior to our show together, the biological effects that we care to see, thwarting of infections, faster recovery, getting sick less often, seem to be at an amount that you would consume if you consumed mushrooms regularly. You can use them in so many different ways. There's a ton of recipes out there. So I just tell people before you even supplement, start eating mushrooms. Mm. The lion's mane right now has been so popular. You know the whole nootropics 
category that's out there and everybody wants anything that can help enhance performance in some way. Yeah. I think four or five years ago, my company was selling maybe 100 kilos of lion's mane extract a year. Today, we sell 10 tons a year. Wow. Like it's our number one sellers. It's unbelievable. And again, I'm talking about raw materials, raw straight powder, because that's Namex sells raw materials to other companies. We So they will put it out under their brand in capsules or something like that. The other one that's really come on strong, of course, is cordyceps. And traditionally, the wild cordyceps, which is what they used for the most part, was wildcrafted up in the foothills of Tibet, out in the pastures. And it's this caterpillar that hibernates. And unfortunately, during hibernation, it's got spores of this fungus on it. And those spores germinate while this caterpillar is overwintering. And come springtime, early summer, up pops this cordyceps off this caterpillar. And the cordyceps mycelium is basically consumed the whole inside of that caterpillar. So all that's left is a shell and people are down on their hands and knees in the pastures looking for these things. And it's one of the most expensive herbs in the world right now. It's worth $20,000 a dried kilogram. And the way they consume it is actually with the caterpillar. And it's interesting because I tried to introduce cordyceps to the natural products industry, to the herbal companies back in the early 90s. And everyone looked at it and said, well, that's great, but my customers are not going to eat caterpillars. And I thought, yeah, of course not. Today, we have cordyceps that we're actually growing just the mushroom itself, not any insects involved. It's a different species than the one that grows on the caterpillar, but it's been used interchangeably for a long time. And that's something that was used for fatigue, lack of energy. And that just kind of goes right back to this whole idea of your immune system is weak. And you can't quite cope with all of the challenges that are going on, whether it's your diet or your daily life or whatever it is. But you know, so oftentimes people who are coming out of a long-term disease, they're just trying to climb out of it and they're feeling much better, but they just can't make it over the hump. They would give these people cordyceps. And, and due to that whole fatigue type of idea, now a lot of people use cordyceps in athletics and things like that. And whether or not that actually helps them out or not, I don't know, but that's where a lot of people are using it. And it's going into a lot of sports products and things like that. But the other thing about this is what you were just talking about, which is how much to take and are you taking enough? And, and that's also very important because all too often with herbal products, you have a bottle and the bottle is like 60 capsules. Why is it 60 capsules and the capsules and they tell you to take two a day? That's a month's supply, right? And not only that, two capsules a day, is that the same for a 100-pound person versus a 200-pound person? There's all these things that you have to consider. Do you have thoughts about taking too high of a dose or more of your concerns around whether or not people are getting enough of the active compounds to have the effect that they would want? Absolutely. The beauty of the mushroom is that most of them have been used as foods for thousands of years. So they're very, very safe. You don't really have to worry about overdosing or taking too much or anything like that. To me, the last thing you want to do is take too little because then you will probably not see any real benefits. My rule of thumb on them actually is two to five grams of dried mushroom or equivalent extract. So let's just say you go the higher end, you say, okay, five grams of dried mushroom, and then a 10 to one extract, you'd be taking 500 milligrams. So that's how I look at it. And that's something that 
was brought to my attention by a friend of mine who's a doctor, but he grew up in Hong Kong and he learned traditional Chinese medicine over there. And then he studied Western medicine and became an MD and he practices in New York. And he researched very deeply the use of mushrooms. And in this case, it was reishi mushroom and to see what traditional Chinese medicine was using. And he came up after his research with two to five dried grams or extract equivalent. And I use that for pretty much all the mushrooms. I think that's a good rule of thumb for any of the species. Different mushrooms have different polysaccharides. We're consuming these from a variety of different sources. How do these affect the immune system? Is our intestinal tract sensing them? What's going on there? First of all, let me just make sure that people understand how important the structure is. For example, you beta-glucans in grains. And the fact is, is the beta-glucan in a grain is what we would term a beta-1314. And what that means is that as a polysaccharide, that's a chain of these different glucose molecules together. And at certain points, it will branch off. So a beta-1-4 will have a branching at that 1-4 position. A beta-1-3-1-6, which is the mushroom beta-glucan, will have this branch at the 1-6 position. So that is super important because you don't get anywhere close to the same immunological activities with oat bran, for example. Oat bran, when they talk about beta-glucans, they talk about it in terms of its use as fiber because beta-glucans are part of the fiber of the grains. They're part of the fiber in the mushrooms. But again, it's this very important branching that makes the difference. So a beta-1316, which is what we find in mushrooms, is totally different from what you would find in uh, cereal grains. In the cereal grains, it's really the bran that's giving you all that uh, fiber and everything. The rest of the grain is going to be mostly starch. So what happens with the beta-glucan is... It gets digested down in our intestines, and all multicellular organisms have receptors. And some of them are called pattern recognition receptors. And the whole idea is they can detect, in this case, non-self structures that we have. And those would be pathogen-associated molecular patterns, or PAMPs, uh, pattern recognition receptors, or PRRs. The basic idea here is that we have specific receptors, and when a fungal beta-glucan comes down there, they see it as a possible pathogen. So they recognize it, and they will initiate an immune response. These receptors down there, they now see as being very specific to beta-glucan. So the beta-glucan will come down, it will hit that receptor site, and then that's where the activation of the immune cells will happen at that point. Let's switch gears to ergothionine. Do all mushrooms have ergothionine? And is there a different amount of this substance in different types of mushrooms? That's so interesting because we initiated ergothionine testing about three years ago. I'm not kidding you when I say we've got more data on the ergothionine levels in mushrooms than anybody in the world right now. And mm. yes, certain species do produce more ergothionine than others. One of the species that produces the highest levels is actually shiitake. So consuming fresh shiitake or even taking a shiitake extract, you're going to be getting a reasonable amount of ergothionine. And again, ergothionine is something that we have in a lot of places in our body in places where there's a very high oxidative stress. And that's where it seems to be accumulating. And we don't produce it. We have to get it from outside. And right. fungi and mushrooms are some of the organisms that produce high amounts of it. So it's really, is there anything else that this mushroom doesn't produce that we, that's going to help us out? It's just so many things. But the air 
ergo, there have been lots of studies with it, and they're still not really exactly sure what yeah. its role is, but they do know that in these areas it's accumulating, there must be something that we're using it for. And shiitake, the other one that's pretty high in it would be lion's mane. If I remember correctly, I don't think the polypores produce a lot of ergo, so reishi or turkey tail would not be producing a lot of it. It seems to be more of the fleshy fungi like uh, like your shiitake, maitake, uh, lion's mane that we've seen are producing higher amounts of uh, ergo. So that's kind of interesting, especially considering that those are edible in the sense that we can use them as food, not necessarily it's just a tea or something like that. So yeah, ergothionine, it's just another one of those great compounds that you're going to be getting when you are consuming mushrooms. Two interesting properties about mushrooms that specifically relate to longevity strategies are ergothionine, and only a few organisms make this amino acid, so fungi, and then some of the bacteria found in our guts like actinobacteria and cyanobacteria. It seems to have a propitious effect on our physiology, and of course, more to learn there. Thank you for the comments about which mushrooms have the highest amounts. And the other one is chitin. We think of chitin typically for the exoskeletons of bugs <laughs> and not as much from this type of organic matter, but that is a calorie restriction mimetic. So it inhibits glycolysis. And we know glucosamine is a glycolysis inhibitor. And Michael Ristow's done some work on that where that seems to extend lifespan just by making your mitochondria work a little harder and therefore it keeps them healthy. Wow. Now, chitin's an interesting subject because uh, I think, okay, chitin, it's in the exoskeleton of crustaceans. Well, yeah, it is. But ultimately what they're doing is they're uh, incorporating calcium carbonate to make that hard mm -hmm. shell. Whereas with fungi and mushrooms, of course, they don't have that hard shell, but they still, that chitin is part of their structure. It's part of what helps them stand up. Without it, they might just be laying on the ground, mm. relaxing or something, but it does bind a bit and makes mushrooms a little bit less digestible. And that's one of the reasons why mushrooms are so high in fiber. And that's why when we're producing our supplement products, we will grow the fresh mushrooms and then we will dry them out. And on the drying process, really more a matter of just, okay, how do we get them from farm to processing factory, you really need to dry them out and not be taking the chance that they're going to spoil on the way there or anything like that. So we dry them out, take them to the processing factory, and then we'll grind them to a powder and put them into large tanks of hot water. We'll do a hot water extract, but we will not remove that fiber. We'll keep that powder with the fluid, send it all off to a spray dryer to be dried into a fine powder. And that's what we would call our one-to-one -one extract. So there's absolutely nothing that's been removed. It's all still there. The fiber, any compounds that are there, we analyze, we see profiles, we know what we've got in there at the end. We don't try to build anything up or take anything out or anything like that. We really want our extracts to be as close to the profile of the raw material as possible. And that's really what I believe in when it comes to manufacturing an herbal product. I want to see a profile that's pretty much the same. Your approach, which is delivering food in a more accessible package, that's what I seek myself. We haven't touched on it yet, but I think it would be really important to let your listeners know that there are a lot of products out there in the market that are not actually mushroom and they're being sold as mushroom. And I like to let people know about that because for one, no mushrooms are grown in the United States and sold as supplements. And this is absolutely the case. The reason is simple. It's just economics. 
a mushroom's 90% water. So you take a fresh mushroom to market, you sell it for $5 a pound, you dry that out. Now you have to get $50 a pound for that same pound of mushrooms and the economics don't work, which is why we produce all of our mushrooms deep in the mountains of China. And I've been doing that since the 1990s. And actually in 1997, I took OCIA, largest organic certifier in the US at the time over there with me. And I had the first organic certification workshop for mushrooms in China. 1997. And so what happens is in the United States, companies will grow out that mycelium in a laboratory on sterilized grains. And at the end of the process, after 30 to 60 days where that mycelium will grow out, it will colonize the grain, grow all over the outside of the grain. They will essentially dry it, grind it to a powder, grain and all, and then they'll sell it as a mushroom. We do beta-glucan testing, which also does alpha-glucan testing at the same time. Alpha is the starches or glycogens. We've tested normal mushrooms, and then we've tested uh, these myceliated grain products, and those products end up being 30 to 60% grain starch and very low levels of beta-glucan, like on average about 6% Mm. beta-glucan. In fact, some of them have next to no beta-glucans in them, and they're being sold as mushrooms. And this is something that people really need to know, because when you're going out there, look at the shelves, and you've got 50 different brands there. 60 to 70% of what's on the shelf there will be this myceliated grain product. And the way I like to describe it, which is exactly what it is, is you're familiar with tempeh? Yeah. Tempeh is cooked soybeans. Mm -hmm. Do you know what ferments tempeh? A fungus. One of these imperfect fungi that I was talking about earlier, they will inoculate these cooked soybeans with this fungus. The mycelium colonizes, it grows over those soybeans very rapidly because it's out in uh, tropics where it happens. So when you're eating tempeh, that white that you see that holds all those soybeans together, that's fungal mycelium. So if anybody's been eating tempeh out there, you've been eating mycelium. This is what companies are producing in the United States, but what they're doing is they dry it out, grind it to a powder, and then put it in a capsule, and they sell it to you as a mushroom. Any mushroom that you buy, you should look for it having some validation around the percentage of beta-glucans and other compounds that are in it. We have a retail line and all of our retail products will have a beta-glucan number on it, not less than. And when we sell the bulk products to our customers, we've got the beta-glucan percentage of that particular lot on the certificate of analysis. And they're free to use that in their marketing as well. So I would say definitely if you're looking for a product, look to see whether it's tested for beta-glucans and whether they have something like that on it. That's one. The other thing is that if it says made in the U.S., it's definitely one of these myceliated grain products. And let me tell you, it's just mostly starch. One of the clear ones, mushrooms that you can do that with is reishi. Reishi is bitter. So take your reishi out of the capsule and taste it. If it's not bitter, it's not reishi. What should we look for as consumers to make sure that we're getting a better product? Okay. Number one, if it says made in the U.S., 90% certain that it's going to be this tempeh-like product. If it gives you amount of beta-glucans and gives you the amount on the bottle or in the supplements facts panel, that is probably going to be a mushroom. The other thing too is look in the supplements facts panel. Some of them will actually say 
mycelium. And then if you look in the other ingredients, which is the really fine print at the bottom, if you look there, some of these products will say myceliated rice, myceliated oats. But basically in the other, they will list that in the other. And that's the tell right there too. If you see that, you absolutely can be certain that's what those products are. And the unfortunate part about it is I know very intelligent people that have been taking those products thinking they were getting a mushroom product. So those are the real keys. Look at the other ingredients. Look at whether it actually sells mycelium. The problem is that the people that manufacture those, oftentimes they're the ones that will put out the product that will have the proper labeling on the supplements facts in terms of saying mycelium and saying in the other myceliated grain of some sort. But when they sell those raw materials to other companies, they sell the raw materials as mushroom and the other companies think they're selling mushroom. And so they don't even put the fact that there's grain in there or the mm -hmm. mycelium in that bottle. So that's the real difficult part of it because a lot of companies are just absolutely unaware because a lot of these big herbal companies, they've got botanists on staff that know green plants, but they know nothing about fungi and they're very easy to bamboozle. <laughs> Is there any wisdom you can impart to us if we're dabbling with the medicinal mushrooms? These are good to take earlier in the day because they're energizing. These are ones that might relax you. What do we know about that? Everybody out there is so different. Their body makeup and their dietary regimen. And all. if there was anything I would say is that you might be better off taking these before you had a big meal. Okay. Uh, but otherwise, just take them according to when it suits you and when it fits in and where you can remember to be taking these things. I'm kind of the worst one in the world when it comes to supplements. And I don't take very many supplements. I put reishi in my coffee in the morning because reishi is nice and bitter. I drink black coffee. I really like to stir in and it has an extra bitter note that it adds to that black coffee flavor. So that's really great for me in terms of how I do it. And then I've got reishi working for me just in a regular way, but every morning. For example, reishi helps people with calming, with stress, and with sleep. They've used reishi a lot for people with insomnia. So some people will take it an hour before bed or something like that. So those things would be something to consider for people that are going to be supplementing in a regular way. Yeah. So mileage may vary, but people can try these on their own and see what kind of effects they have. If anything, take them before a meal because you'll have less diluted exposure or competitive exposure from other foods that you're eating. It's not going to be irritating you in some way. I think that's a great way to look at it. Jeff, it's been delighted to talk to you. I know this show will be very popular given the state of the world and people's heightened interest in the subject at the moment. Thank you for all the great work that you've done and spreading the word. It's really nice to meet you and talk with you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me on. And for me, I'm just really interested in educating people about mushrooms. Having been in the mushroom industry since 1973, knowing how great a food and all the benefits from mushrooms, I'm just kind of like cruising along going, okay, yeah, things are moving slowly. All of a sudden, about three years ago, the whole thing just explodes. Everybody in the world wants mushrooms and they're what we used to see in the industry, the flavor of the month. But I think it's going to be more than that because when you look at the use of mushrooms in other parts of the world, we're just laggards there. And so mushrooms are going to be a much bigger player out there in our food and our supplement. So I'm really encouraged by it and feel good about it. I've been including them in my diet much more frequently than I used to. Now I'm more cognizant of the health benefits, so I'm making sure they're a part of my daily nutritional plan. Yeah, right on. 
Thanks for listening and come visit us soon at humanos.me.